perfect. Okay. Scott, do you want to introduce right. yourself in some oh, way? Oh, yeah. That'd probably good. be good. Okay. Hello. Uh, I am Scout Leader Wiley. I am a theory and ritual artist. Um, this is the Apricot Jam. I don't really know these guys, but <laughs> I do. I do. And uh, yeah, it's one of those. Um, how did, uh, <laughs> to quote David Byrne, how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that, that's a pretty doing. straight line, right? I heard yeah. you talk to Michael Garfield um, uh, and y'all right. had a great conversation. And I was like, cool, I'm going to see if she wants to come talk to me and Lucas because that was super fun and super fascinating. <laughs> and here we are because you said yes. Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Thanks. Well, I like Michael Garfield. He always has something really interesting to say in response to like what the other person says. He's like an encyclopedia of like weirdness and I just respect him so much. And uh, it took us almost three months to um, actually sit down together and record something. Mm. Um, but I've been in his future fossils group for a while. And um, it was one of those things where uh, it always showed up in my feed and I just like kind of like scrolled because like i was like oh, i'm i'm here for the dopamine not to like learn shit but i like <laughs> but i thought i like deluded myself into thinking i was there to learn shit uh when i was actually just there for the dopamine and then we did the podcast episode together and i was like ah now i have like dopamine from friendship and so now i'm really into future fossils mm -hmm. <laughs> future is great yeah. yeah totally great big influence <laughs> on well, on this show and on both of us mm -hmm. in lots of ways. It's uh mm -hmm. yeah. I've learned a lot mm -hmm. from from Michael both on that and on Complexity Podcast. Yeah. So mm -hmm. super Love grateful to him you. and always appreciate what he's got to say. So why don't you tell us some about what it's like to be a theory and ritual artist? And I know yeah. that you're working on a project right now, in fact, that we were slightly talking about before we started recording that involves I think both of those things. Yeah. Um, so I guess like being a theory and ritual artist or like, I, I almost feel like I'm not like being one. I'm like becoming one, but mm. like it's becoming one, I am one, if that makes sense. So I'm, I guess I'm really into the idea of like performing myself. Mm. Um, and, uh, that could be a Leo Mars thing if you want to get astrological. <laughs> um, but so what it is is that um everything like theory is the way i approach it i would say um is the same way that i approach um my songwriting so i have like my my whole thing before the liminal web was you know like burst into existence and before i knew what it was um or it even had a name really i was just like you know a broke like folk punk guitar player person that would just like go to open mics that consisted only of my friends and like write about uh my feelings and stuff and um over time it sort of became a way of connecting as opposed to a way of indulging my own experience mm. um and then the philosophical um element kind of comes in but it's not necessarily um i i hesitate to call it philosophy because philosophy is a little bit more 
um, in my opinion, anyway, it's like, there's a lineage to it that I'm not super involved in. So like philosophers study other philosophers. I mm-hmm. just like think real hard about shit. <laughs> so I wanted to push myself from the lineage element of philosophy. And that's kind of what I mean by theory artists is like thinking a lot and like, yes, reading and, and coming up with conceptions and ideas. Um, and, but using those ideas to fuel, um, my creative expression. Um, I think that theory artist kind of frames the relationship to philosophy in a more authentic way for me, the the relationship I have. And the ritual artist bit is like the art, the actual creative um, mediums and uh, or forms of expression or whatever um, are like expressing the theory um and also just on a practical level to training my body to uh connect to reality in as many ways as possible i would say you know so um the whole like perspectivism thing is really big right now and then there's like a relativistic side to it where it's like everyone's good in the same way and then there's like perspectivism that's like, well, everyone's got a perspective <laughs> and we should consider them all um, when making decisions that are going to impact people on a mass scale. And I feel like ritual art, at least how I like to practice it and how the people that I know that are also ritual artists like to practice it is that it kind of like trains your mind to step outside of itself. Um, and you don't like need psychedelics to do it. So that's great. (laughs) Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. (laughs) Let me know if it doesn't. Cause (laughs) I'm curious to know how much of ritual art for you is the ritual of the making and the creative process and how much of it is ritual performance. Um, or if. I'm are those different? Yeah, or or like, and the way that I think I would um, define performance for this question is like when there's an audience of other, mm-hmm. I'll say humans in this case, other human persons. Um, Damn and, it! Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we'll we'll that that's the that's the performative so aspect I'm asking about. So is it Taran or Taran? I don't know. It's Taran. Taran. Okay. Yeah. Because in the movie, they call him Taran. They do. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that that's it's, what they call you. Yeah. <laughs> it's incorrect. Taran, okay. Yeah. I, don't, I don't actually know how Lloyd Alexander pronounced it, but it's always been Taran. Okay. Mm. Great. <laughs> Thanks. Happy to help. You're going to sidestep that one? or? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, I just, I legitimately just forgot the question. So I'm, <laughs> I'm curious about in, in the way that you're working with ritual art, how much yeah. of the ritual is primarily about creative process, like mm-hmm. working with yourself and maybe collaborators of the making of something that is not necessarily going to be shared or performed and how much, and not like so in the sense of percentages, but like, you know, are we primarily talking about 
creative process? Are we talking about ritualized performance? Is there uh, like a seamless interweaving? Is there some possibility that I'm too stupid to be able to understand or perceive? <laughs> no, like, that's a really great question. And I would say for me personally, the lines are blurred. Yeah. Um, okay. Because uh, so um, I'm, I'm going to be self-referential here. Um, if that's well, We're asking that. about your art. So it <laughs> seems like that's a pretty good play. Yeah. Well, um, so when I'm, I, I like to think of it as like, it's all a performance. So I'm performing myself like that. That's the thing that's self-referential. When I said earlier, like I'm, I like the idea that I'm performing myself. Um, I like to objectify my own persona and I feel like there's benefits to that. I could go into the benefits of that uh, if you want, but that sounds like a tangent or something we can talk about later. Um, so it, have you, what's your experience with like uh, performance art? Like, have you seen a so lot of performance art or? I went to the experimental or? theater wing at Tisch School of the Arts in the nineties. So I have a, um, a relatively deep bench of performance. So you're cooler art than experience. <laughs> Not saying that at all. <laughs> uh, frame of reference. But for a frame of reference, right? So, and then I was involved yeah. in the experimental dance scene and like mm -hmm. I was around for Black Lips performance cults tenure down at the pyramid. So like, you know, I was, I was at in New York at a time when there was a lot of very weird performance art, some of which was ritualized, some of which was not. Um, but, you know, so this is one of the reasons why I'm curious what your relationship mm -hmm. and orientation of that is because I have experiential and mm -hmm. assumptive kinds of like uh, ways that I relate to that term that I have mm -hmm. no idea if there's any connection to what you mean by that term so i'm mm -hmm. i'm trying to kind of get clear on you know where this all is in the in the in the big wide weird world of performance yeah art. i have yeah. a sense it's probably similar i have like my own i guess spin on it mm -hmm. um but i am influenced by so again i'm like currently in my buto teacher's apartment right now and um she was very involved in the like San Francisco kind of weird folk kind of art scene thing before she uh, moved here. And um, that is a person that uh, has had a really huge influence on the way I approach art and the way I approach um, spirituality and create creativity and all that stuff. And especially in my movement practice, um, she's had a major influence. So I probably, it's probably similar in ways that I'm not actually even aware of. I'm like, you really piqued my interest. I want to like hear you talk more about what you think. Um, we can have that conversation, but I, I think that, I think that today is not the day, but I'm happy to have that conversation. <laughs> with you. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. I'll try to, I'll try to answer your question, I guess, more directly i would say it's it there's so much overlap for me personally and for um you know the sort of like really niche art scene that i'm current that i'm like a part of which is like an experimental noise jazz kind of um metal thing that's really hard to describe um it. it's literally just me and my friends my friends friends it's like not even like a scene but it's a scene you know it's one of those sure. things Mm -hmm. <laughs> um and a lot of it is just like us performing for ourselves and each other 
-hmm. and like you're creating and you're performing at the same time and your audience and your uh, actor at the same time. And because everyone there is an artist, it becomes like this blurred line situation where it's like, Mm. well, we're all performing for each other. Mm. Um, And the ritualistic nature of it uh, in part has to do with psychedelics, Mm -hmm. but also in part has to do with just the reverence that we have for each other as beings. Mm. Um, you know, I think that in a traditional sense, rituals are um, about uh, a lot of the the formalities around rituals are about um, separating it from the sort of mindless, mundane, like work-based kind of mentality that we have uh, typically um, and setting aside like a place where like, oh, we're going to put a special um, cloth on the table. We're going to tell special stories. We're going to eat special food. We're going to see people we don't normally see every day. Um, there's like this grandiosity to um, rituals that um, is so easily applied to um, a situation where you you just have like 10 friends in a basement um, smoking weed and jamming. There's something very ceremonial about that. Um or there can be. Um, mm-hmm. And ceremonies are all about performance. Most community rituals have to do with some kind of like music and we're calling the gods and we speak the gods' names and we do it in this very, very melodramatic fashion. Um, very performative. So, yeah, lines are definitely blurred. Got it. <laughs> That's interesting. So in terms of like a personal daily creative practice. Yeah. Is that, is that part of, part of your work mm-hmm. as well? And how is there a ritual container for that aspect of the work too? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I want to get more specific on what you're asking. So I'll ask like a clarification question. Yeah. Um, when you say how is it framed, do you mean like specifically what do I do? Or do you mean like, what does the way, how does the way I frame it affect the, the, the practice you're talking about, like my daily practice, right? Yeah. I'm I'm curious about both of those things. Like if there is a um, sort of a theoretical or a paradigmatic kind of like orientation, Mm -hmm. I'm certainly interested in that, but I'm also curious about like, okay, so, you know, this is the way that I create a ritual space for this when I'm mm-hmm. writing songs, I have a ritual space that tends to be like this or like these. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm if it's movement, maybe it's more like this. I mean, you can mm-hmm. get into whatever level of resolution feels interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm always curious when folks are mm-hmm. working with emergent ritual, kind of how you yeah. know, like what is the context that you're creating? How are you understanding mm-hmm. building that structure? Like, what are the boundaries that you create, like, to delineate if you do, which, in my experience, most folks do, something to delimit the ritual space, like an opening and a close, you know, whatever. I mean, like, Mm. so these are the kinds of things I would be curious to hear about, like, how you're navigating and orienting and creating Mm -hmm. that space. Yeah, I love that question because there's so many different answers. (laughs) So, um, I... I think that there's, so there's a certain conceptual element to it where uh, you're um, really, it begins for me with like a mental frame. So being able to just like see what I'm doing as a sacred thing 
And then I behave as if it were a sacred thing. And so I love that you uh, referred to it as like emergent ritual because mm -hmm. um, it's different from like an intentional ritual or like a traditional ritual where it's very, uh, there's a bit more rigidity there uh, in traditional ritual. And that's fine. That's, you know, when you're trying to uphold old, really old ways, there can, there's something to be said about being conservative in that, in that regard. But when you're just doing like a, when you're trying to, um, live your life in a ritualistic way it kind of changes things because there's so many things about life that are just like casual and random um i i was talking to uh brendan dempsey earlier today about like making coffee and turning that into a ritual and like making an altar uh with like a uh just a cot like a, put your sacred coffee bean on a table boom you have an altar like kind of mm -hmm. trying to draw attention to the mundane uh, nature of of ritual as well as like the grandiosity of ritual the grandiosity is is basically a mental framing um, people perform the actions and they put on the clothes and they do all that to get themselves into this headspace of sacredness and you don't actually need any of those things to do that so um like I have this one community ritual that I've been doing this month with a couple of friends as an example. Um, and we're supposed to make an altar to ourselves and every day we'll write down like what we do. And it's supposed to help us like uh, become more committed to our um, like, I guess uh, sacred work or like our, our uh, cause we're all like, we all like do businesses around helping people kind of like evolve themselves or get more in touch with themselves and stuff. Um, and literally my, my, uh, my altar to myself is just a piece of paper on the floor. <laughs> and every day I go to this piece of paper on the floor and I bow my head to this sacred piece of paper before I write my thing. Or sometimes I'll write it uh, before and then, and then I'll uh, bow after. And I treat it like it's like the holiest object that like, you know, God like shat it out into my hands. And now I have to like... <laughs> you know what I mean and um like that's done wonders for me and 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 taking myself seriously um and making sure that I'm like doing the thing that I want to be doing responsibly um yeah so it can be as simple as that or it can be as grandiose as like uh I did a ritual of uh like a movement ritual where I just went into the woods um, and was kind of like saying, like I was helping myself transition into winter because winter can be very hard for me psychologically for a lot of people it is. Um, and I was kind of like transitioning from spring to winter. And so I just went into the woods uh, alone to dance, but I like brought mugwort with me and I like wore a white dress and like put makeup on and like, you know all of this like very intense stuff um and yeah that was more performative that was that was a bigger deal I guess but to me the sacredness is the same because sacredness is an experience it's not like a thing that is out there you know mm -hmm. my my computer's gonna die I need to go grab my do um, it yeah I'll be right back okay. I love those lights yeah. It's like a waterfall of light. Nicely played, sir. Oh, also, a lighter fall. 
a lighter bulb. That's not as there's good as also... a waterfall of light, but nonetheless. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> also, there's a nice picture that says witch <laughs> right above her. <laughs> yeah. It's classic. I don't... I wish I knew her teacher's work. It's been so long mm. since I was uh, in the Buto world, you know? I would love to share um, Jacqueline's work with you if if you're if you want yeah totally i was just saying yeah. I, w- I, w- I wish i knew her work i haven't really been tracking buto post buto stuff of late yeah, um, yeah really since i you know she and like kazuo ono are like the only two people i know <laughs> do you but, have uh, so you're not familiar with maureen fleming's work at all no not at all might <laughs> might be worth a look she's a pretty yeah. fantastic uh Typically right, solo yeah. Butoh performer who was mm-hmm. coming up more or less like when I was in college. Uh, it's still ongoing. Her work is ongoing, but she's, yeah, she's, she's pretty rad. Mm-hmm. And definitely, her, her name is Maureen Fleming. And definitely on the performance as sacred ritual tip in a very like austere way. But I remember one of the... um I think it was like the third time I saw her perform. And this is back at La Mama back in the day um, in the little black box theater. And so Maureen typically performed solo and um, it, this was the beginning of the evening and it is, it was like pitch fucking black in the black Mm -hmm. box. I mean, like there is no light, right? It was kind of impressively dark, dark room, dark. Mm -hmm. And I'm there with a friend, um, we are both really high, but <laughs> nonetheless, um, not like psychedelically high. Mm. But the mm. next thing that happens was absolutely psychedelic where, and we both saw the same thing. There were these kind of like sort of arrow shaped white, gray, glowing somethings that were, you know, like ghost images that went doof, doof, doof. From the back of the theater, through our peripheral vision, and we saw them keep going, and they came together in a point, and then the lights came up, and there was Maureen. But this was not yeah. this was not a light effect, right? Like we talked to other people after the show, no one else saw this. Wow. <clears throat> but it was totally a visual phenomenon, and I am not the kind of person that like tends to have particularly visual spiritual experiences, right? That's not my. I'm I'm much more on the kinesthetic intuitive like you know mm-hmm. feeling end than the seeing end so wow. it's always fairly dramatic my mm-hmm. friend was somebody who saw a lot of stuff but nonetheless mm-hmm. and uh what accompanied this image ray whatever it was like the force of her intention and concentration was so strong it felt like it actually called whatever that was into some kind of manifest expression it was a very intense performance um yeah. really cool yeah so, but, so mm-hmm. i like her yeah. work a lot cool wow that's, that's so really interesting. old school new york stories yeah i hear a lot of those from my parents but my yeah. parents are like more in the like hip-hop house dance like club scene um mm. A uh, part of it, not really like the freaky part. Yeah, they were like more like, you know, I don't know. But um, it's interesting when you talk about like rituals and art and the overlap and 
that sort of experience because um so my my dad in particular has a very um esoteric approach to the way that he teaches dance Mm. um which is like you know he talks about like the circle and like the dynamics of the Mm -hmm. circle and how like um he doesn't like know systems theory but like he does you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. he's observed um the dance scene and when you observe a scene for a long time you start to kind of just get a natural i think people are naturally like systems attuned mm-hmm. um it's like part of our mindy thingy <laughs> well put <laughs> i mean yeah i think we're always looking for patterns you know yeah that's it what we freaking w- wanted to say but so yeah. like, <laughs> we get it <laughs> I mean, this is also this thing that Nora Bateson says all the time, right? She's like, you know, the, mindy thingies. Mindy thingies. She says mindy thingies in almost every yeah. talk I hear her give. She actually coined the term mindy thingies she did. in her paper, mindy thingies. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was her first experiment in creating a word to describe a really complex yeah. intellectual and philosophical concept. Yeah. No, and I was going to go to the place where she talks a lot about yeah. how fo- folks understand complexity inherently. Right. Like there's not that there's, you know, in her working with warm data and she's, you know, working in these various communities where ostensibly people don't have the quote intellectual sophistication to understand the theory, which of course is horseshit. But she's like, no, everybody gets this. People innately understand this kind of complexity because we're living in it. Right. Right. And so we can abstract it in such a way that has its benefits and Mm -hmm. its strengths and its weaknesses. But at the same time, the presumption that somehow in order to understand it, you have to have read this, thought this, done this particular set of abstracted things is really, right. you know, a house of cards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I yeah, kind of say a similar thing about Chinese medicine to folks when they're like, I don't know, there's all this jargon. I don't understand it. And I'm like, well, have you ever mm-hmm. watched the turn of the seasons? Mm-hmm. I've never had mm-hmm. someone say no. Um, maybe I will someday, <laughs> but I'm like, well, then you understand most of Chinese medicine actually mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well put. I like that. Yeah. I think that there's this, uh, this like unnecessary barrier that gets built. That's not even really there when um, we, you know, the map is not the territory. That's like the first rule of abstraction. <laughs> um, and then we go and we're like, well, if you don't understand the map, then you don't understand the territory. And it's like, that my body was formed by this territory. Of course I understand it. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't like, um, I like the whole four ways of knowing meta theory uh, of cognition and the way it kind of like points to, um, I think it's a little bit more sophisticated but than, but kind of is similar, is going to have a similar effect to the whole multiple intelligences theory, which mm-hmm. like is kind of been like kicked out. But um, I feel like the intention behind multiple intelligences theory was really like there might not be multiple types of intelligence, but there are so many ways to imply uh, apply intelligence and uh, getting like understanding theory is like only one of them. Like you can apply your ability to think at, in abstract ways and like uh, solve problems um, in a way that's very uh, like extroverted thinking, I'll say, you know, um, you can apply it relationally. You can, you know, uh, apply it in all these different ways. Uh, you can apply it to like your emotions and stuff, but um, um, 
yeah, people just assume that if you don't understand the map, like, uh, it makes me think of like, uh, like they're like the military, right? I'll use like the military as a, that's just what's coming up for me right now. Like the military ranking system, right? Or like not even the ranking system, but like there's different roles that one can play, Mm -hmm. right? You have like the scouts, which are basically like the, like they're sensitive and they're, when they're in like a scout role, that's good that they're sensitive because it means that they can hear a thing that no one else can hear. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas like the guy who's less sensitive, right. But very like brave and large is like going to be intimidating. Like he's in the protector role, you know, and like they each belong in their respective roles. If you switch them, they're going to look dumb. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you try to get like the brute to be a scout. He's going to like be so clumsy at that. Uh, You try to get the scout to battle and he'll be killed immediately. Um, so, you know, everyone needs to be like, like Radiohead and it's right place. (laughs) I referenced that song so many times in the past year. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. It's just so good. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Do you ever play with the, um, with the audience's experience? like setting an intention for them or um you or like that the ritual is so <clears throat> like you set an intention for the performance and it's so performative that it like it's hard not to elicit a certain response like an anti in from the audience and then play with that or anything. do you know what I mean or or is it more yeah i do know what you mean and so i've only ever done perform like movement based per- and performance art type stuff um, <clears throat> as a part of a group. So I was never the person setting that intention. It was always my teacher, mm. Jacqueline. And I, I really wanted to show you guys like some of the performances. I'll actually like send you a link uh, after this for a particular performance that I am in it, but I am not like, I didn't choreograph it. Um, but the way that she like, I'll just use an example, uh, an example um this of this particular god wait oh i'm speaking backwards i will use this particular performance as an example of what you're talking about so what her intention is is like uh how she um leads us or how she guides us she doesn't uh do choreography right so she'll tell us like what to think of or how to feel or she'll use a metaphor she's like uh imagine yourself uh, feeling or being or trying to touch like XYZ, right? And that's how she leads her classes as well. Um, so she sets an intention for your experience and then that guides your movement, but you're still guiding yourself through the experience. Like you're using your own archetypal imprint, if you will, um, to, to um, uh, as like a base for your expression, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, I've I've seen so I'm I'm a uh, I'm a musician I'm not a performance artist I've done performance art in the past like maybe once that I I I uh, came up with myself but I don't have a ton of experience with that I know that um being a musician uh, is a little less intentional if that makes sense than performance art performance art is so highly conceptual that it's like you're usually going to come in with an idea of what it is you want the audience to experience. Um, because you want to get them like thinking about a certain concept. Um, 
music is so much more uh, emotional. It's so much more about the experience of the person. Um, like when I'm singing, my intention, I guess, behind that is to like uh, invite others to feel what I felt and like maybe almost like evoke and allow them to um, to experience some sort of catharsis through me. If that makes sense. Mm. Uh, but with performance stuff, I've seen people, um, I've seen people be less intentional with it, and I almost feel like it doesn't work as well when you're mm. in that context. Um, I think you want to be more trying to guide the audience in a particular way. Like, really, there's like a there's like a strong frame. I found in like movement-based performance art stuff in my experience. I don't know. I would love to hear how, what Taran's experience with that is. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you know, it's been a long time since that was a world that I, that I hung out in. Um, but I would say that there were a lot of different ways to approach things. I mean, certainly, <laughs> so if we're talking about performances that are primarily um, that are less improvisationally weighted, right? Because I mean, even in improv, like often there's this misconception. I don't know that anybody listening would have this misconception, but it's possible that improv just means do whatever the fuck you want, which certainly is a form of improv, but usually the most, the least interesting form of improv, right? There's often quite a, um, a robust structure within which, right? Just like in jazz, you know, or like various other kinds of, musical improvisations, you don't have, you know, you don't have a score with the notes, but you do have like the broad strokes of like, okay, this arc, you know, we're going to focus on shape. This one, we're going to focus on rhythm. This one, we're going to, you know, we're working with this floor pattern. And that, you know, at this point, like when this thing happens, which can happen anytime, then everybody trades place, whatever, you know, there's like various yeah. ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, so the intent for that kind of work, often at least in, in my work and the folks that I was working with was typically not about trying to get anybody anywhere in particular, but it was a very focused intent in terms of how we were relating and engaging, right, with the performance itself. Um, mm -hmm. And then I would say that in terms of work, you know, that was more choreographed or staged, often that would have a deeper kind of architecture um, but especially in the work that I was really exploring, we, you know, it's a little bit like the Tarot in the sense that there is something specific that you're given, right? But the relationship that each individual has to that is not necessarily the intent that, you know, whoever the artist was that created that card might've had a very specific way that they would like that to be experienced or maybe not because we are talking about symbolic resonance here but mm -hmm. what it evokes in folks is again you know is emergent based on like what's the context who am i in this moment where have i been you know like what's up so i know that there were lots of folks that were um working in what i would have kind of framed as a more intellect first orientation mm -hmm. to making performance mm -hmm. but that was not really 
the world or the space that I was traveling in or interested in. It was much more about creating a context for people to have an experience that was authentic and hopefully transformative, but not a specific experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so there wasn't necessarily a wish to convey any particular idea, but through some kind of aesthetic and often a little bit tricksy, um, you know, <laughs> way of interfacing with like audience performer relationship to essentially, you know, really what we were trying to do in simple terms was induce a psychedelic state in the audience without the use of psychedelics. Yeah. That's right. literally what we were trying to do all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah. you know, and not everybody, right. But like the, the yeah. folks that I was working with really closely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's about having an idea that we want to convey, I would say less in this case of an idea mm -hmm. and more of like, mm -hmm. um, an opportunity for a portal in, into a, a particular type of space right? Yeah. that's non-ordinary. Um, and, you know, I think sacred is a good word. I like the way mm -hmm. that Josh Shry talks about ritual a lot as like an opportunity yeah. to come step into the primordial. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we didn't have the language at that time, but we were working with, you know, trying to access kind of a mythic and transpersonal state though again we didn't that wasn't yeah. the language we were using but that was absolutely what we were trying to do yeah. um so that's that's what i can say about that i actually yeah. just talked to one of my um friends and collaborators this guy jay brown who has a podcast called yoga talks we haven't talked in 28 years and he uh sent me an email like a month ago and was like hey man i've gotten really interested in uh animism and like idealism and materialism and science and spirituality and kind of about like i'm looking at all these things and i just have this feeling that you might be a good person to talk to about all that i was what? like well your intuition is spot on bro because those are things i spend a lot of time thinking and talking about yeah oh my god so, yeah, we just talked on monday so random and glorious i can't even right? believe that happened to you it was pretty awesome i'm gonna talk about primordial time missives yeah. out of primordial time it felt very uh yeah, it, it, it had this wild resonance, like it just rang this crazy gong out into the void. So that was cool. That was a fun conversation. Sweet. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like I like the randomness of it. It's just like, hey, uh, I forgot you existed, but here you are. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking love when that happens. Yeah, yeah I like cool. Yeah, you walk down the street and you see someone that like you had a crush on in middle school, and you're like, "Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of like this thing in NLP, uh, mm. which I don't know if you guys are super familiar with it, but uh, you're probably familiar with Pavlovian conditioning, so it's like the same thing. But like they call them anchors in NLP, and it's just like you come to associate one sensory experience with a state you know right. and so like if i like fell in love with like a guy um in middle school right um and that's like a visceral experience as a middle schooler because it's like oh i've never felt like attraction before like i didn't know these parts of my body could feel that way like what the fuck <laughs> right and then like years pass and i see this guy and then i'm at work and he shows up and i feel the same feelings 
And I'm like, I don't even care about you anymore. But I'm just like, he's an anchor to like my sexual awakening or something mm. because mm. because the experience was just so powerful and it was the first time I'd ever felt that way and like all of this stuff. And and then you tie that into like uh experience like uh experiences like coming together and making art and like wanting to uh uh, access the primordial or whatever. I love the way uh, Josh put it, and I love his podcast. But um, just this like way of accessing these other ways of being the, than the habitual way of being that we've mm-hmm. just become stuck in as like productive Western capitalist like smart people. You know, um, is like we are no are no longer using the Western capitalist smart people thing. Um, it's now using us. <laughs> and and um and then we go and then we blame it and we're like oh western capitalism why are you doing this to us and it's like oh my god we're literally just like doing it to ourselves (laughs) and how we stop doing it to ourselves is by accessing all the other things we can possibly be doing to ourselves which are a lot of things and like yeah it sounds like uh tara and your experience was was uh you you maybe weren't super like aware of it in a like like the length or didn't have like the language around it at the time but like you knew exactly what you were doing because i think that humans are just like predisposed to that like we can sense when it's time to be profane we can sense when it's time to be sacred we can sense when it's time for things to change. We can sense when disruption is needed and 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 when patterns need to be interrupted. But we're so used to holding on to one pattern that anytime any of that happens, we're like, oh, I guess I'm having a psychotic breakdown. But that's not what's actually like going on at all. <laughs> not that psychotic breakdowns don't happen to some people. It's just like, I think that like maybe the threshold between like what is being like uh, mentally unwell and like what is being just different is like I think we've come to see mental unwellness in a lot of things that are actually just normal responses to certain phenomenon or Mm. uh, environments like depression being like yeah I, I only get I only experience depression when I'm like not doing the thing that lights my soul up you know and I've been like diagnosed depressed since I was what 15 or 16 years old and like now that I'm doing a thing I care about, I magically no longer have depression. Uh, or when I go into those states, like I can use use them. I can actually like use my experience of being depressed in a way that's generative and healthy, and it's fine. Like being a, de- a depressed person um, when I can ac- when I'm able to accommodate myself and like build my life around having a predisposition to that <clears throat> kind of state. Most people don't have that privilege. So they're just like, oh, I'm broken. <laughs> Fix me. Give me pills. And then the pills help, but then they help the person keep uh, being in the system that made them sick in the first place. So, like, do they really help long term or in a deep way? You know? Yeah. I mean, they help them continue to be a productive member of a hyper capitalist society right. that's based on mm-hmm. the idea of endless linear progress, right. which you know, in and of itself, I think certainly lots of people have made the case that that is pretty ill (laughs) and that feeling okay within that is not necessarily the best metric as to how healthy you are um, or not. I mean, like, I'm not saying people should, everybody should feel shitty about it. If you love it, awesome. 
I, yeah. not my bag, but nonetheless, like yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not actually here to point fingers at anybody about that more to point out that it's yeah. also completely reasonable to be like, wow, this is fucked up in a way that I can't possibly express. And <laughs> I feel crazy trying to navigate mm-hmm. it. Yeah, totally a reasonable response to an unreasonable situation, right? As well. Yeah. So, um, but I, yeah, I think where it gets tricky is like it's just so painful for so many folks, right? right. And so then you know it's like, oh, do we want to go down this rabbit hole that I'm about to like go down? <laughs> I don't know that I do yes. want to go. Do you want to go down this rabbit hole? I want to go down every possible rabbit hole. That's kind of my problem. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's just so totally vast to start thinking about like the state of people's mental health in the world at this particular moment. That's, that's the rabbit hole. I'm not sure necessarily that we want to like take this conversation and just like put it in that direction. (laughs) Uh, There's sort of no end or no bottom to that conversation. Right. Right. Oh no. (laughs) Good point. I wanted to see if we can't turn the bus back to turn it what you were talking about your um your indescribable band oh yeah the the non-music metal um dystopic i don't know what i'm just throwing words at a wall because i don't know what it is right right that's exactly what i was doing thank you for really (laughs) have you ever it's a have you ever seen the film untitled with adam goldberg okay Mm -hmm. you probably haven't because i worked on it and it's from we shot it in like 2000 oh god seven maybe and really? it came out in 2009 i'm looking at imdb that's why i remember i know that it's okay. not on the top of my head <laughs> yeah. anyway it is so up both your alleys i don't know if i told you about this one taryn no fantastic it's such a good movie anyway adam adam goldberg plays this this guy who's an, a musician and he finds himself um uh, at odds with with like the conventional conceptions of of music and like performing and it's it's just so sort of fed up with with um the niceties of it and like the the conf, uh, conforming to it you know so he becomes like the anti music artist so he has his own band who's like yeah. a bucket of chains and like mm-hmm. a piano and like a saw and like a hammer and a piece of wood. You know what I mean? Like and crash worship. Performance. Yeah. yeah. And it's phenomenal. Sounds like and my it's... friend Brendan. Well, this is why I was like, is this what it's like? Because I would love to see that. I would love yeah. to hear it. There's a whole slew of other things that are really fun that happen because he meets this um, – this uh artist he gets into the contemporary art circle and it's like they it's really tongue-in-cheek and delightful poking fun at the contemporary art world like there's like they go into a museum and it's like a wall of white and they call it like i don't know vast emptiness or something and then there's like a a posted note on a wall and it's like you know expression of everything it's like really (laughs) amazing you should watch it check it out it's fantastic like something i would really enjoy (laughs) it's funny too you know what i mean it's so but yeah i want to hear more about this indescribable genre to band well yeah i'll tell you whatever it i think i can express about it um it's like one of those things that's hard to really like I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's not <laughs> I can't describe it, but it's just that yeah. I don't know where to begin. So, is there anything you're specifically curious about, or 
Does it have a set number of people? No. What's the average number of people that are in it? So it, it's, it's, there are repeat customers, so okay. to speak. So there's like a core group and the core group is basically like, it's my friend Brendan and his partner, Melanie, it's their house and all the equipment is theirs. So they're like, mm. you know, in obviously like the mitochondria, right. Or whatever, like <laughs> <laughs> of the cell. And then, yeah. and then uh, I just moved back to New York. So like, I've been there pretty frequently. There's uh, this guy, Henry, he plays like drums and to, to call him a jazz drummer would be an understatement, even though jazz is such, is so versatile in itself. He also plays metal and he's like, you just can pretty much play anything. Um, and um, and then there's this girl, Amanda, who used to be my roommate. And so, like, there are a couple of people that just, like, we've known each other for years. And, like, whenever there's, like, a reason to come together and celebrate, we play music together. It's just, like, second nature, you know. There's always a jam. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's not even really like a band. It's just like a bunch of people coming together to uh, experience creation, you know? And sometimes uh, it sounds like absolute nonsense. And then uh, most of the time it sounds great because everyone's really talented. Um, and so there's this one guy, Brendan Ward, right? Who's like one half of the mitochondria. Um, has this uh, this weekly songwriting competition. He calls it the Bop Pop Challenge. And it's not really his. He's just the one who started it and like set the frame. And it's been going for like three years now. Um, and so the whole background of that is that you, sub uh, you submit a song, you write a song every week, you submit the song, you upload it to SoundCloud. He makes a playlist. We all get together and we listen. And then we choose a winner. We vote on a winner. And then the winner gets to choose the theme for next week. So there's a theme every week. So that's just been going on for three years straight. And like what's come out of that, this is another thing that's kind of inspired me to start being like, okay, ritual art is a thing. Like it's not, it's not just a random word that popped into my head. And now I'm, you know, you know, it's in all of my marketing posts. Like it's a thing that I've observed probably over the course of my entire life that I noticed multiple people are already doing. And he's one of those people and he didn't know he was even doing it. Mm. Um, but yeah, every, every week getting together, doing a ceremony of choosing a winner, right. Every week. Uh, and then like, what's kind of happened is you have like all of these different people, um, co-creating and cultivating, um, their respective creative power, um, in this community context and it's become this very tight knit like group. So when you make music together uh, in that way, you're doing psychological surgery on each other without even really realizing it. Like the effect that we've had on each other's growth, even outside of the context of that little community is, is not insignificant. Um, so, yeah. So then that kind of thing um, is like at the core of the sort of like, creative culture that's um um i'm talking about that you know this like band kind of is is it's not really a band it's 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 really just like a culture of 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 art, artistic expression and and experimentation and a lot of people have that and we never hear about it um 
and they learn so much and they and they end up cultivating all this wisdom that we never get to hear about because um it's just so hard to it's almost like boring it's like a mundane thing it's like you know you get artists together like they're gonna do that um we only hear about a fraction of it but it happens all the time you know it's like life on planet earth like how many other life on planet earths are there we don't know but this one feels like the one because it's the one we're so involved in Mm -hmm. i said a lot of words (laughs) no i'm just it sounds fun it sounds really amazing yeah Uh, so it sounds like sometimes you're you sort of um ride the uncomfortability or the dissonance that's created like um you know if the jam's flowing or whatever and it's like you know um what would what we would consider like harmonious you know mm-hmm. that you know, that is what it is and it's beautiful and expressive whatever but it sounds like you're also uh experimenting in the world of like dissonance as well which is that that intrigues me do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. to it's, I mean, we kind of play with it in a, in a, in some ways mm-hmm. in, in a conversational sense, Yeah, but we, I don't think we poke the bear as it, <laughs> as in a sense, you know what I mean? Like we don't, mm-hmm. we don't like ask um, awkward questions to keep it awkward. Why not? Do you know what I mean? Um. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would love for you to ask like... me an awkward question right now. <laughs> well, I think I mean, we could, I guess we could really, you know, if we got someone, we, we felt like having a, a, to see what the audience response would be. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I mean, I think part of, at least from my point of view, the reason we don't do that is <clears throat> for one, there's lots of people that do. Um, <laughs> and so part of Fair. what this space has always been about is just, allowing things to emerge in a way that generally seems to have its own i mean not every conversation enters into the flow right Mm. it doesn't all like get into the zone it doesn't all hit the pocket whatever metaphor you want to use but like the reason we talk about it being like conversational jazz is that moment when you're like out of live jazz performance and people are improvising and all of a sudden like everybody enters into this kind of group transcendent space because like the flow and the concentration of the musicians is so profound and they're like this kind of subject object dissolution thing can happen. Mm. So I don't know that we get to that level of it, but Mm. like that, that kind of like, how does this, um, end up having a life of its own that is mm-hmm. right something mm-hmm. that feels nourishing and that we're all kind of like within so mm-hmm. like yes there's some questioning but the goal is not to like it's not really an interview ideally right like this thing kind of moves and we're following it right whatever yeah. it's it, i mean and it's a lot i think like for lucas and i the practice of medicine right where there's there is some other in the moments when it's like at its best there is another intelligence that is directing everything and the Mm -hmm. person who's receiving the work in quotes and the person who is you know giving the work also in quotes are both in service to something that is much bigger and when that happens right the emergent phenomenon of that coherence is what we call health right Mm -hmm. so similarly i think what we 
intend and aim for is a, is whatever you want to call the thing that emerges out of a conversation with three or more people, right? That kind of coherence. That's that's what we want to create the conditions for. So I would say that asking deliberately awkward, provocative, uncomfortable questions isn't generally the way to foster the context mm. yeah. for having the highest likelihood of that to arise, which mm. is not to say that we've ever shied away from talking about things that are uncomfortable, but instead of being deliberately provocative, it's like if, you know, if we enter into a territory where what's on, what's coming up is like something that is a little difficult to navigate or a lot mm -hmm. difficult to navigate mm -hmm. like that's fine but yeah. trying to find things just for the sake of yeah provocation, it's mm. just not super interesting to me at least right yeah. um mm. you know no, there's I, definitely I, trickster folk yeah. out there that like yeah you know, that's their mo and i i appreciate it a lot but you got to be what and who you are you know mm -hmm. so i don't mm -hmm. know that i've got those chops or, or have interest in having them quite frankly yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get into this. So I have this like little thing that reminds me of a, like a like a thing that I like to do um, sometimes, which is like what I call it my joke. It's love. It's called like loving combat or sacred mm. combat. And I like just my favorite thing is just throw sacred in front of words where you wouldn't think it would make any sense to have <laughs> the word sacred there just to like draw attention. This is one of my provocateur things, I guess, like is to like just put that word there just to get you to reconsider what you consider sacred, you know, mm. which I, so I guess I'm like more comfortable embodying the trickster, but you're right that there is a time and place for that. And it's not just for the sake of doing it. Right. right. It's usually for the sake of like a greater purpose or like, I think that like the trickster is just what's needed right now. Like that's what the mm. medicinal or health, you know, yeah. that, 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 that was beautiful by the way, how you put that, like the emergent phenomenon of that is what we call health. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly it. Health is not the absence of sickness. It's just, I think it's like intimacy with what is arising. Um, and sometimes when I'm sick, I actually feel more in touch with myself. And I've never been severely ill more than like once or twice in my whole life. But I do like all of my memories of being severely ill. And like the only times I've ever been severely ill were like, I had an asthma attack and I had to go to the hospital when I was a kid. And then uh, I had Bell's palsy and Bell's palsy isn't mm. severe, but it was emotionally mm. intense. Um, mm. And then there was like some mental health stuff, but all of those times were times that I felt really deeply connected to myself in a rare and strange way. Um, and I didn't want to run from it. I didn't want to um, heal in a sense where I wanted to make my symptoms go, go away. I wanted to feel in the sense of like, okay, if I don't draw attention to whatever it is that I'm being shown through my sickness, yeah. um, I won't get better. You know, so getting better almost like requires, and again, with the depression thing is like every time I've ever experienced a depressive episode, um, it's, it's only ever gotten better through sinking as deeply as I can into it to a certain point. If that makes sense. I've never um, benefited mm -hmm. from medi medication. I've barely benefited from therapy. I've only benefited from wallowing. And this is uh, this little trickster thing that you're talking about, I think, very tangentially related. There's like a way to approach discomfort. There's a way to approach illness. There's a way to approach negativity where you're like loving the shit out of it, but you're not clinging to it or building mm -hmm. a narrative around it. You're not bypassing it either. You're just with it you're just there and it's there and it's like 
um, when you're going to like trickster someone that's, you know, it's, it's for me, the whole sacred combat thing is more like, I'm teasing you. Obviously I'm not like actually like going to poke a spot that I feel is genuinely tender in this way. I'm going to poke a spot where I know there's resilience. I'm going to mm-hmm. poke a spot um, that's tender. I'm going to, I'm going to gently um, like witness that spot. You know, I'm just going to look at it. I'm not going to even touch it because it might still be very sore. You know, it's like give give your friend like a slap on the back um, affectionately uh, if they have sunburn. <laughs> Don't do that. Right. <laughs> give them a slap affectionately on the back if you know that their back can handle it. Um, you know, we don't want to break people for Christ's sake. <laughs> but we do want to encourage resilience, right? So, well, you know. yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, I'm thinking about you mentioned thresholds earlier. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm I'm thinking about the relationship of threshold experience to like so <clears throat> in terms of the making friends with discomfort or making friends with suffering or making friends with what people would think of as illness, right? There's a way that and you say wallowing. I don't know. I wonder whether it's really wallowing because I feel like wallowing is just kind of going somewhere and like rolling around in it, but not actually ever having anything change. That's what wallowing is in my observation. But when we go into a space and we like, we're willing to actually be with the authentic whateverness of it, Mm -hmm. right? Which I call making friends with it. um, That allows us to enter into, right? Really come into the threshold with it, right? Because if I keep pulling back, you know, running away essentially, or staying in a particular place that is uncomfortable, but somewhat tolerable, right? I can keep staying sub threshold in such a way that this, the, there's never any chance for things to really change, right? Mm-hmm. I just keep doing the thing. I just keep touching it. I keep touching the hot thing and touching the hot thing and touching the hot thing, but not yeah. touching it long enough to actually change what's going on with my skin and perhaps learn how to you know i get a little callous if i touch it for a little bit longer over time and i can build up that resilience so my back goes from being super tender because it's sunburn to being really robust where Mm -hmm. you can like smack it and then eventually punch it and maybe punch it really hard and i'm like yep i can't say that that's pleasant right but i have through continuing to make friends with the experience and meet it where it is Mm -hmm. really like transform things so that i'm fundamentally different than I was, right? By going through whatever this process is, right? Allowing it to unfold. So I don't know if that is resonant at all with where you're coming from, but that's what I'm kind of like thinking about and as I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. Taryn just wants you to do cold showers. Oh, no. Don't don't buy into it. He just wants to do cold showers. It's a thing with him. I've been trying to convince myself to do cold showers as a way of like seeing if I can just like heal my Raynaud syndrome, but I'm terrified of doing that. Uh, moment of unasked for medical advice. If you have Raynaud's, I would definitely not recommend cold showers. Okay. Um, Cause I, I, I have anemia too. I just like can't do the like cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But I know that it would like, um, it would help me with, well, I have other ways of like doing, of dealing with anxiety. Um, and building like resilience around high sensation. I have like a thing with high sensation where I'm mm. like, uh, 
sometimes like really sensation seeking um and want to like um like I'll, I like to expose myself to like scalding hot water mm. um but sometimes it's like a thing touches me and I'm like ah, ah. <laughs> so it's just like a weird like sensory experience and that might have a lot to do with, with uh, why I'm so into like mythology and weirdness and all these concepts too is because like the, the sensory experience for me of like being a person is just like all over the place. <laughs> yeah, being well, human's the great no thing joke. about that was that, yeah. that being human's no joke. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about that idea, <laughs> you know, that practice is that it can be like anything. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, iron palm training. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be cold showers. You know, it can be like which, you know, I have a good friend who's um, a therapist, and like it can be sort of I don't want to say desensitizing, but like you know, working on um, edging closer and closer to something that is a trigger, but getting yourself. Ready, ready, and in shape enough enough to handle a triggering situation. Yeah, you know, you don't just dive right into the trigger because that's not going to help. But you know, you can do certain practices to help you get more robust and more in shape Mm -hmm. in order to handle, you know, trigger light. (laughs) You know, right, and then eventually be in the trigger situation. Yeah, that's trigger titration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's clever. See, he's got he's got tons. Yeah. Good one. Good timing. Too. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, boom, I'm genius. I bet you didn't know that. It's not in the editing. <laughs> it's all live. This is all uh, happening, people. Uh-huh. <laughs> so how does the oracular fold into all of this for you, Scout? Because I know that's another big, big interest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. My, so I have an emerging, it's not really a theory. It's just like a bunch of ideas. It's some theory around uh, the oracular, like in a like transrational sense. Um, and uh, it's like a causal representational theory or whatever. So it's like you kind of, uh, you begin in a, and it's loosely based on like stage theory type stuff. So you begin in this like, interpretation of reality that where you're very separate from it um and reality has control over you um and so you try to appeal to reality by saying like okay um god that is outside of me uh if i give you this offering of uh like a bay leaf or something random right will you not kill me and then you know, if it works, you go, oh, God likes me, you know? And so that's kind of where we begin when we're kids, we're like this, um, you know, it's like magical thinking or whatever. And then, you know, we're socialized into our like rationalistic society. That's like still very, very like uh, Cartesian and, and its way of understanding uh, our relationship to reality. So reality is still separate from you, but you have power over it. Um, if you understand it from a scientific perspective, right? But then you end up objectifying everything and life kind of doesn't feel meaningful anymore. Um, And then moving to um, this way of experiencing reality um, where 
it's almost like you're right, you're collaborating with the, I have a friend who refers to it as like collaborating with reality. Um, so you see yourself as a part of reality um, or, you know, you are God or you are a cell in the body of God or something like that. And um, this gives you uh, this, this, this sense of magical thinking kind of is, is reawakened here. Um, but there's a sense of detachment there as well. So with the whole oracular thinking is like, um, if you take a system like astrology, right? A lot of people like astrology is really super popular right now. People are trying to get back into it because we're like starved for like archetypal, you know, systems and astrology is a really good one. Um, it has a lot of fascinating archetypes. It tells a story. It tells a story of human development. Um, if you look at the wheel in, in, in a linear way, but, um, what what my experience of things like astrology are, are that like you already kind of have a sense of what's going to happen relative to where you are right now uh, because you have like future prediction technology in your brain. That's like one of your pattern recognition things. Some people are better at it than others. Um, it depends really how in, attuned you are to the moment that you're in. You can sense where... Uh, you know, we're in constant process. There's no really no such thing as stillness. If you're attuned to that process, you can see where it's going. Um, so I, you know, I have situations where like, uh, I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen, not because uh, um, I'm like, uh, you know, downloading it from like, directly into my head from, um, from God who's sitting right up there in the sky and has chosen me, you know, or something like that. It's like, I just know this moment so intimately that I, I can see where, where it wants to take me. I can see where I want to go with it and I can see where I'm likely to go with it. That could change literally a second later. So the new like oracular thinking is like, there's no such thing as a prophecy. There's just like, what is the most possible and most likely right now, given where I'm at? As soon as you change that, you change everything, right? You change what future you're on, uh, what kind of like timeline you're on or whatever. Mm. And so, yeah, it's a very like, it's it's more of a personal mythology thing that I have that mm -hmm. people apparently is interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. So does, does that play into the ritual art project process in and if so i would love to hear some of the ways that it does because i have this sense that maybe just maybe <laughs> those things hang out sometimes um so the two sort of pillars of the metamodern magic project right now are the a causal representational thinking thing that i kind of briefly touched on when i was talking about the oracular thing, which, you know, mm -hmm. I explained it, but maybe not well. Um, <laughs> and then the ritual art piece. And like, they are, they do have an intimate connection with each other because ritual art teaches you how to be exquisitely attuned to yourself um, and the dynamics of your, how you relate and collaborate with reality. Right. Um, and then the a causal representational theory is like looking at, what the mythology that you project onto reality is showing you. Mm. Um, and so the closer you get to yourself, the more that you can kind of understand in what ways you tend to project on reality, like what makes sense for you. Um, 
if I uh, mythologize of myself as an oracle, right? How does that affect my actual actions in the world versus like, is it doing good or am I being an asshole and thinking I know everything, right? And that's that's what the ritual art kind of gets you to to see, like what is your personal mythology? And then the acausal uh, theory kind of helps you connect it to actual phenomena, right? So they kind of need each other. I feel like if you have one or the other, you, yeah, for me personally, I've you know relied on something like astrology or the Enneagram or some sort of external system to like save me from myself. But then the art, um, uh, and then I end up getting detached, too detached. And then like the, the ritual art thing has been more like, oh, well now I'm just like really self-obsessed and in my own head and and so absorbed with my personal mythology that um, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing the world any good. I'm not like helping anyone. I'm not helping myself. I'm not, you know, like what's the point of all this? So I think that they, um, the ritual art does kind of uh, inform this other thing uh, in in certain ways, ways that are like pretty idiosyncratic, and I feel like I couldn't really explain uh, okay. in any in any way of like this. If you do this, this is what will happen to you. It's like I know um, it's, it's a bit of a mystery to me. Like I can sense it. It's it's like an yeah. ineffable thing. I can't really explain it. Yeah. I'm not even trying to be mysterious right now. I just like have no idea how to explain it. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. For some reason I'm thinking about like this notion in Buddhism of the relative and the ultimate. Right. And like, so mm -hmm. if you, in terms of two different views, right. And the ultimate view is like, okay, everything is empty. And if you're in the, like the Buddha nature school, luminous, spacious, right. Like, you know, all phenomenon are dreamlike and they're arising, which is, creates this like really vast but entirely detached yeah. orientation which is on the one hand super useful but it's cold yeah and so relatively speaking beings are born and they die and they suffer right <laughs> so the relative tempers the ultimate because without the relative you're like well whatever it's all spacious and luminous like right. so stop whining or not that you know Typically, that's not exactly the response, but there's a way that it's so detached that there is no acknowledgement that, relatively speaking, like life can be really hard. And mm -hmm. but if we're too focused on the relative, then all we think about is how fucking hard life is, and we mm -hmm. miss the fact that it, at the same time, is spacious and luminous. Yeah. Right. And 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 on some level, like what the Dzogchen teachings say, like perfect. Right. Everything is is perfectly arising and there's no need to change anything, right? Nature of mind yeah. is just like, like it's all samsara and nirvana are one, right? But at the same time, you know, <laughs> this is why we practice medicine. For those of us that practice medicine in the main, it's like if people are suffering, we want to do what we can to help them suffer less, right? So how, if it's not clear enough, how I think that relates to what you're saying, right, is that when you have this beautiful uh really hundred thousand foot view of the eight causal representational stuff right it can get yeah. you to a place where maybe you're not really seeing how you are interacting with the people around you and the day-to-day -day aspects of your life and if we focus too much on that right we can end up too much navel gazing nobody's any fun to be around right yeah well said absolutely uh, yeah coming to what you're saying yeah. So I feel like with like something like tarot, what I've seen, so I've been reading tarot, I guess, maybe for like seven years, which feels weird to say, because I don't even feel like I'm really 
tarot is one of those things where it's like it'll kick your ass the whole time and you'll never feel like you're good at it but like you are and you don't realize how good at it you are until you like give someone a reading and then you're like oh yeah I still got it <laughs> but I mostly just like read for myself these days so I, I don't get to have the experience of being like a tarot fucking genius um I'm just like oh that could mean anything like what should I <laughs> you know and then I figure it out after like you know some time but um, and I also use my tarot cards, but I use my tarot cards as a causal representational systems, um, you know, so t- t- try to be less jargony about it. Um, you're not an archetype, but you can express an archetype. The card's also not an archetype, but it can express an archetype. And it's going to it's going to express an archetype in a more stable way uh, because it's a it's a sort of a, like a static or it gives the appearance of being like a static dead piece of matter right it doesn't have like the all this other complex shit that we have as humans um so it's better a causal representational system than another human um which we you know we turn humans into those you know all the time when we're like oh well i have like daddy issues and i haven't worked out my daddy issues like every guy i date is gonna have to deal with my daddy issues because he's an a causal representation system for my dad um so if you're just like a tarot reader and you're like the tarot card is the archetype then you're kind of missing the point, you know, because it's supposed to be representational. So it's also supposed to be a causal. So the card's not telling you what's going to happen. Like you are learning what's going to happen as the card like reflects to you right. what you're learning in the moment, what you're coming to already realize. And you can yeah, come yeah. to realize that through anything the tarot card is just a really, really, really good mirror for what you already know. Can't tell you stuff you don't know. It can't. So if you aren't attuned to the future in this like, uh, like transrational oracular way that I've, I'm speaking of, uh, tarot reading is not going to help you. Uh, and uh, that's you know that's I think I would say that that's the main difference uh, and why I uh, came up with a jargony pseudo intellectual term for it. Mm. (laughs) nice how much do you think it's about the future and how much do you think it's about uh elucidating the present Mm, i like that question i wonder like what the difference really even is when we're talking about stuff like emergence like i think emergence is uh it feels like a buzzword at this point and that's maybe good because I think it's starting to get people to realize like, God, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that, but (laughs) (laughs) I think lots of people would agree with you. I mean, it's, Um, I love the word and it definitely, yeah, it's just ubiquitous, right? It's emergently ubiquitous (laughs) (laughs) within certain circles, which right. We're all traveling in (laughs) definitely. yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like part of why emergence is such a, you know, hot topic right now for people is, especially in this sort of like, sort of sphere that's emerging, (laughs) is because it's a movement oriented word. It alludes to a process. It's not like, uh, uh, the, like the, the sort of things are always like in a state of becoming, I think. Um, or that's my experience. I experience myself as becoming. As soon as I say I am something, I'm like, 
well now I'm not <laughs> I was but by the time that that came out of my mouth that person died you know right. like and now I'm a different person I, I was reborn um uh, but like yeah so there's this constant birth death birth becoming kind of thing um and when you think about like the past present and future um that kind of it kind of almost falls apart uh, when you think about becoming, it's like becoming is past and present and future are all like mm. the same thing. Kind of, it's like a weird threesome, you know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of awkward questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Bonnie Roy has this idea that she's been playing with a lot lately where like, uh, she did a, a class on sort of, exploring indigeneity um more like in an abstracted way mm -hmm. uh and one of the things that she did in that class is she sort of made this totemic um set of images that then and and words that then became like these kind of guiding sigils for the exploration mm -hmm. and one of the first principles or sigils or totemic images was this notion of being not becoming um and that on a certain level right like i totally hear you and and feel you and agree with you and on another level it's like i can only ever see that everything else is becoming but like i'm only ever where i am even if as the kind of moments unfold there's this morphing but I'm still kind of in each one, right? So mm. it's a series from this point of view of being, observing, becoming, right? And each one mm. of us is witnessing the becoming, right? But somehow also resting in being in ourselves just as another way to play with all of it. Mm. So then it's an interesting, from that space, it's interesting to think about like, you know, the Tarot or I Ching and like you're seeing, right? And at least in the way that I was taught to read the I Ching, um, you're looking at the present and what has the potential to transform, mm. right? And so it's, but it's really primarily, I mean, you can orient the question to whatever, but there's a way that it's like, it's giving you information, reflective information about the context, mm. right? And the place, if there is one, where the context wants to change, mm. right? But there's this way that you're still seeing it from this moment, right? Mm. And in that moment, it is as it is, mm. right? From the vantage point of, of me casting or me looking out. I'm not sure if this is a particularly coherent explanation of all of this, yeah. but yeah nonetheless that's, no, that's what's occurring it. to me as we're talking about this we were talking about this other perspective on it of like um like the whole being versus becoming thing which is something that i'm secretly obsessed with but don't like really like speak on that much because mm -hmm. i feel like there's so much literature that i <laughs> i've avoided reading on the topic i just like thinking about it but i yeah. you know, so this is like the first time i'm going to be talking about this subject but i think about it all the time awesome. um, and like you're talking about there being a perspective of like you're when you uh when you divine when you're when you're um when you're you know 
you're in a divinatory practice. I won't say when you divine because that's ambiguous and confusing. When you're when you when you have a divinatory practice, you are creating a snapshot. You are um and then the past, present, future being experience is like very true in that. Um and I should try maybe like maybe that would help me in my tarot readings a little bit more to kind of like compartmentalize my experience. Mm. Um because I don't uh, experience it that way, but I wonder right. if that could help, right? Me get, right. get deeper clarity in my readings is taking that frame on it. Because my experience is, and this is maybe perhaps like why uh, I, I use tarot the way that I do, which is like, I don't do reading so much as I like choose cards and then I'll like have the card be the, fr- the can t- like represent the container for the ritual. Like this mm. is what I want. This is what I'm becoming, you know? Like um, my my <laughs> my like really corny altar over there, which is just a piece of paper. There's a tarot right. card on on it on top of it, and so it's, it's the high priestess card. Yeah. Um, because I'm like this is what I'm becoming, but in being like this is what I'm becoming, I become aware of how I'm already it. So that's the being piece. That, that is the being piece that I'm yeah. gesturing towards. Yeah. It's like instead of <laughs> instead of looking at like oh I'm becoming, it's like okay, but. I am. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't even know how. I don't know how I'm the high priestess. I don't think I am the high priestess, but let's say for this moment that I'm the high priestess. Yeah. Right. That there's some way that the shape shifting is like, it's, it's now. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. It's not some yeah. other mm-hmm. when that's going yeah. to happen or that has happened, but like, it's, you know, yeah. so I don't know. Just a yeah. fun thing to play with. Yeah. Well, I guess that like my experience of becoming is like witnessing myself being, but also there's a movement to my being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and my assumption about being perhaps previous to this little interesting conversation that we're having now is that it's there's a stillness in that that doesn't feel um, dynamic. Yeah. But seeing being as dynamic almost makes it like not separate from becoming in any way, you know? Uh, if that makes sense. It does. Like I'm becoming what I already am or something. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you get into the processual where it's like on the one hand, everything's unfolding. On the other hand, there is this way that like the moment is is dynamically still, right? It's yeah. like you know, you're you're in a stillness practice, you're in a meditation, you're at a moment. Like I'm at the, I'm I, you at the peak of the arabesque before like, you know, you have to release back into gravity, yeah. but there's this suspension, but the suspension, like we call it stillness, but yeah. in point of fact, right? Yeah. Not, not in the manifest universe. There's no stillness. Right. Right. Because it's like, mm-hmm. then there's no movement of energy. And since energy is the substrate, right. Just from a physics perspective, I'm not even trying right. to get particularly esoteric with this statement. Right. I'm happy to go there, but you know, it's like, though. <laughs> exactly. So right. There's this kind of pulsation that's at the heart of all the things that we think of as being solid and substantial, right. Yeah. But they're oscillating and shimmering. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like that being is also right. It's, yeah. it's this incredibly potent vibratory space, even if it appears mm-hmm. on some level to be still. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like it's the same expression in your jam sessions, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, you say you're a vocalist, right? Yeah, I play guitar too, but oh, and drums. Okay. Well, so you're a multi instrumentalist. <laughs> yeah, I play a couple things. And, and but, see, 
<laughs> right, right. And the washed up bass. <laughs> but you're, I'm you're always bass being in the nice. You play the upright bass? Not upright bass. I wish. Maybe one day. Go for it. Why not? Add it to the list. Yeah. But you know, you're the the sound you're creating, the note you made is your note you are making, the action you're you're doing, the string you're plucking is in the present. Mm -hmm. But then it immediately in the past. Mm -hmm. But the sound that you're you're creating is in the past, present, and future, mm -hmm. right? Because it's continuously yeah. re reverberating, right? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not in the future per se, but the, you're 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 riding the wave mm -hmm. of the melody or non-melody mm -hmm. <laughs> that you're playing, which is future. You're, it hasn't happened yet, but you have to feel into that space in order to create a flow. Right, you're not necessarily just call response, right? You're all mm -hmm. sort of like based on possibly some, you know, mm -hmm. uh, musical theory, but you know, you're you're in that moment, mm -hmm. um, in all those moments in time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, uh, you know, what that reminds me of it's like tangential, I guess, but it's it is, I guess, no, it's not that tangential. I, God. <laughs> I have this like weird habit of self-deprecating and that just, it's like, I don't know, I guess it's, it's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love tangents though. So I don't even know that yeah, I, we didn't take it yeah. self-deprecating. We're like, yeah, it's weird. Tangent. Like, yes, the whole point of this podcast seems to be tangents and I'm still like, much. Oh, whoa, a tangent. Like, what should I do? <laughs> Talk about the same thing for an hour and a half, obviously. Oh my God. <laughs> we would yeah, be so bored of ourselves. What? I said we'd be so bored with ourselves. Right. Oh God, yes. <laughs> so tangent me. It reminds me of this, um, the uh, uh, chanting "Om," and like mm. how each syllable of "Om," including the syllable of silence, which comes at the end, um, represents a different part of uh, the sort of process of, of creation. You know, so mm -hmm. there's like uh, "Ah" is creation. "O" is sus sustaining the creation. And then mm, this dissolution of the creation and the silence is like the death of the creation. And uh, what you, when you talk about like past, present, future and how a note, you know, as it reverberates, it's kind of in past, present and future uh, for a long time. It occupies multiple spaces, um, mm -hmm. but it also only occupies one space at a time. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. so weird. <laughs> Music is trippy as fuck. <laughs> it's probably why like all the ancient philosophers like or like you know the hermetic philosophers and the hellenistic philosophers were like we need to do music music was like their way of um incorporating math and grammar and all the things like came together in music which is why they were, were all like we need to learn music we need to learn theory behind music we need to like because music is like sacred geometry in space and time you know which is like very mm -hmm. profound to them. And like music is pretty much at the core of uh, religion and ceremony and ritual and stuff. So yeah, very, very important art. I think that we take it for granted. And I feel like honored to be a musician in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, it feels like a, I guess like my, 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 uh, my mythology around musicians is that like, uh, you know, like the myth of Orpheus and whatnot, right? Orpheus was like so loved, you know, and uh, important. And, um, but he was also like so just like sad and angry and 
you know, suffered so much. And like, it's, it's like he suffered on behalf of so many people. Uh, it's, and he's almost like a martyr Jesus type, type of figure in that way. But I don't think it's a, it's a, any uh, coincidence that he was also a bard uh, and he was a storyteller. Um, and I think, you know, being a bard, being a storyteller is a really important role in the context of a community uh, because you're basically reminding people who they are when you do that. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we said we were going to keep it to about 90 minutes and we're pretty much there. Is there yeah. anything other than the amazing thing that you just shared with us that you <laughs> want to say before we land the plane, dock the boat? I think uh, I... I think I don't have anything more than me. Sweet. No, that's, it's <laughs> great. I just wanted to give you the opportunity. Do you, we will, uh, in the show notes, yeah. links to all the things you would like people to know about that you're working on, that you're offering okay. to folks. Cool. Um, so no need to pitch all of that, but we will pitch it on your behalf. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Yay. Uh, Thank you for uh, letting me not pitch. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But we want to make sure that for folks who want to get in touch with you, you will have... A way to do so. Mm -hmm. um, Lovely. Thank you. It was so nice to you. you guys. It was totally yeah, great you to meet too, you, too. Yeah. Take awesome. care. Let's wrap again sometime. Sounds good. Yeah, I would love that. Great. Cool. Have a great night. Enjoy your other conversations. Yes, right. Make beautiful music and art and rituals. I will. We'll talk <laughs> to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.